Thank you, Rodney. I wish I could do that, you know? Play the guitar and sing at the same time. I'm lucky to just get a couple words out straight. So it's nice to be with you here this morning. Do you love the Lord? Amen. It's good to be here with you. You know, whenever I preach here, I always have to make sure that I save enough energy for the second service because, you know, we've had the first service and I want to give you the same level of energy and commitment uh, to what God's laid on my heart this morning. I'm going to do you a favor this morning, okay? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to read out of Genesis chapter 40. I'm going to read the whole chapter and you don't have to stand. All right? Is that cool? Don't tell the pastor. Don't tell the pastor. Pastor and Terry are, um, they're in uh, Tennessee. They're in Gatlinburg. They're getting some uh, much-needed rest and relaxation. They closed on selling their house this week. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. We've been praying for that for a year, and can you believe that uh, they've been here a year? It's, it's one year. They came this month last year. We were uh, going through the Easter season, and uh, they're coming up on their anniversary, and God has blessed them, and God has blessed our church, um, and God is moving. God is moving in our lives, and uh, you know, and I prayed about it also, and I thank the Lord, but isn't it wonderful to see Juanita here with us this morning too? Amen. It's good to see Juanita. Miss Jane, we've been praying for you. We're glad you're, you're feeling good enough to be with us this morning. So you behave. I got my eye on you. <laughs> Genesis. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't know how. Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt... They offended the master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with these two fellows, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Remember last week we talked about how Joseph was wrongly accused and he was thrown in jail. And we find him in prison in this story. The captain of the guard assigned to them to Joseph and he attended to them. After they had been in custody for some time, Each of these two men, the cupbearer and the baker uh, of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, they both had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why are your faces so sad today? They both answered, well, we both had bad dreams last night. We both had dreams. And there's no one here to interpret them for us. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Come, tell me your dreams. Then uh, Joseph uh, listened to them. The chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and then I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Well, this is what it means, Joseph said to the cupbearer. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this prison. 
For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So whatever you do, please remember me. Now when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Well, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot it. So we've been talking over the past several weeks. Pastor Paul started a couple of weeks ago this series and the theme is lost. And it's all about how we deal with unexpected circumstances in our lives. Our plans don't always turn out the way that we want them to. Life happens. Life comes at you fast. Unexpected. Curveballs are thrown at us. And sometimes we find ourselves in occupation or relationship or physical circumstances that we never thought we'd ever find ourselves in. Things don't always turn out the way that we expect them to. And we've been exploring how to maintain a godly perspective in the midst of these unexpected circumstances. The first week, Pastor Paul focused on the fact that God is bigger than our circumstances. Last week, we talked about how we don't give in to circumstances as followers of God, but we submit our character to God and we're people of integrity in spite of our circumstances. And this week we'll focus on living for God and not living for our circumstances. Anybody get migraine headaches? Migraines? I'm the only one. Any honest people in the room? Yeah, we get migraine headaches. You know, the between uh, April 11th, which is my mom and dad's anniversary, and May 7th, which is my mom's birthday. Um, I hate this time of year uh, because it's, it's beautiful. It's spring outside. I've got flowers coming up in my flower bed. I've got the flowers coming up on the trees in my yard. But I, over the past several years, have developed uh, a really nasty, nasty tree allergy. Uh, so tree pollen is really high at this time of year. And so the tree pollen, uh, I don't get watery eyes and sneeze. I get pressure in my head. And I get these crushing migraine headaches. And they are awful and they last for days at a time. And uh, I last Sunday afternoon, I started not feeling great. It was a nice, beautiful weekend last weekend. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this past week, I was dealing with this awful migraine headache. Monday night, it was so bad, I just went home from work um, and, you know, totally forgot I had a dinner that I had to go to after work. 
I was just, I just couldn't deal with it. I was just dealing with, I was pain management. Tuesday night, I went home and I actually just shut the blinds in my bedroom and I just laid there. Sometimes when the, you know, uh, the, the only thing I can do when I don't feel good like that is I just want to lay down. I don't want anybody to bug me and I have zero desire to do anything. I have zero motivation to go out after work and clean out my flower beds or mow my yard or even fix dinner. Some, you know, I've, it's just, you just don't feel like doing anything when you don't feel good. When the chips are down, it's pretty normal to not have much motivation to do anything. You just don't feel good. You don't feel like being productive. The last thing we want to do when we're sick is to go to work or as a student to go to school. Um, you know, the last thing we want to do when we're, we're not feeling at our best is to do anything productive. We just want to crawl in bed and we want to escape. And sometimes when we face these types of situations, uh, when we face uh, situations where maybe the chips are down, we can be tempted to wallow in self-pity. And we can be tempted to say, why is this happening to me? What in the world did I do to deserve this? Or sometimes when the chips are down, we can be tempted to wallow in worry. You know, we can lay up at night. Anybody ever lost sleep because you've been worried about something? It's okay. This is therapy. You can admit it. Everybody's hand should be up. We've all lost sleep. We've, I see heads nodding. I see hands up. I remember when uh, I was a little boy, maybe 10, 11 years old. We, I grew up in Troy, and we were about 15 minutes from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And, uh, and I remember as a child in the early 80s, being terrified and laying up awake at night, worried that there was going to be a nuclear war. Because I knew that Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, you know, we think we're in the, in the safe zone, but sorry to tell you, Wright-Patterson's like one of the top targets uh, because of its logistical significance to the military. And here I am laying on the doorstep of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and just afraid to death, this irrational fear as a child that there's going to be nuclear war. What's fascinating is, I call that irrational fear, but now that the history books are opening up and we're finding out what was actually happening back in the early 80s, um, there were some moments where we were closer to nuclear annihilation than any of us realize, which is really kind of scary, but we should be very, be very thankful that God stayed his hand and the mercy of God uh, allowed you know, things to, to continue. Uh, but I would lay awake at night worried about this stuff. Last night, um, Stephen, my middle son, he's a freshman at Olivet. He went to a banquet in Chicago, and he was riding with somebody, and I didn't hear from him, and I couldn't go to sleep last night because I was just worried about my 20-year-old son, you know, because that's just the way that we are as parents. Uh, you know, when the chips are down, we can be tempted to, to worry. When the chips are down, we can just get overwhelmed by fear and panic and, and just be overwhelmed by the circumstances sometimes and not know what to do. It's very normal. It's, it's human nature. And, in, 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 and the consequence of that is we can become paralyzed. We can become indecisive. Um, we can lose our confidence. When you go through situations, when you go through turmoil and adversity, you're like, how in the world did this happen? And it can really be a blow to your self-confidence. It can be a blow to your, your self-esteem. Worse yet, when we get in these situations, we can be tempted to backslide into sin. I mean, there's some spiritual warfare that goes on at times when we find ourselves in adverse 
uh, circumstances, in adverse situations. We can be tempted to sin, or worse, even worse than that, we can just be tempted to give up, to give up hope, to, to be apathetic and just say, whatever, why am I even trying? Why am I even trying to make a difference in this situation? Joseph, in this story today, did not allow his circumstances to discourage him. He did not allow his circumstances to discourage him from being productive. And we're going to see that this morning. He did not allow his circumstances to discourage him from using his gifts right where he was planted, right where God had put him, right there in prison. He submitted what he produced to God, even in the midst of a really nasty, bad crisis in his life. As Christ followers, we need to submit what we produce to God, regardless of the circumstances. And I'm not just talking about what we make with our hands. We need to submit what we produce to God. Even in the midst of a bad situation, there's opportunity to be fruitful. Even when the chips are down, being productive matters. I want you to hear this this morning. Even in these adverse circumstances, being productive matters. Joseph used his skills and his gifts, even right there in prison. He was able to use them. When opportunity arose, he was able to jump into action. We see that in, that, in this story here. His gift was interpreting dreams. He was able, he, I mean, anybody, any dream interpreters in here? That's a pretty rare, special gift. Uh, he was able to interpret dreams and, and, and he was able to use his gift even in, in this adverse circumstance. And I think as I look at this, I look at what he did here, there are some benefits to us being productive intentionally in adverse circumstances. When everything seems chaotic, when everything seems like it's out of control, when, it, when, when we don't know what's next and when panic sets in, be productive. Use your gifts. Why? I think being productive, it helps us stabilize. It helps us feel like we can at least still make a difference, even if it's a tiny bit. I may not be able to solve the big mess I'm in, but I can be productive. I can use my God-given gifts right where I'm at, and at least it will maybe stabilize the situation a little bit. Being productive in the midst of adversity, it helps bring a sense of normalcy. You know, a normal routine is really important. When you are thrown into a crisis, you're usually kicked out of your routine. And it's really hard to make good decisions and to keep it together when you don't have the comfort zone of your routine. You realize that? And, and we, we make ourselves vulnerable when we're kicked out of our, our routine and, and we're not being productive. Being productive helps us stabilize. It provides a, a sense of normalcy. And maybe it provides us just a little sense of control in our lives. When you're in a crisis situation, you don't feel like you're in control, maybe just focusing on a little thing, being able to do a little deal, <laughs> using our gifts in some special way, it just at least helps us regain a sense of control. It builds our esteem. Because crises, unexpected situations, the unexpected curveball that comes at you, sometimes it can totally knock you out from your knees and make you feel worthless, useless. It can take away your confidence. It can sap our ability to, to feel like we have any self-esteem whatsoever. 
I think that we see this uh, demonstrated, this call to be productive in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, this is what the Lord Almighty, the, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is God's word to these people who were literally kidnapped as a nation and taken from their city, Jerusalem, to exile as slaves in Babylon. Here's what God says to them. Build houses. I know you're in slavery. I know you're in bondage. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there in exile. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray to the Lord for prosperity. Be productive, right? Where you're being productive, even in the midst of circumstances, matters to God. Being productive matters. When the chips are down, building relationships matters also. Even in the midst of bad situations, there's still an opportunity to invest in other people. And this is really difficult to see when we're in the middle of the muck. But there's still an opportunity to invest in other people. Joseph was just this natural people person. I think we see some of his character coming out in this story. Um, you know, and, and we see him uh, as a people person. He was not shy. And he interacted with these, these big officials even there in prison. And I'd stop and pause for a moment. What are your gifts? Do you know what your gifts are? You know, what are your spiritual gifts? We all have them. Have we taken time to identify them? You know, some of us may be extroverts. Some of us may be introverts. We're all made in God's image. And God can use all of us. And he uses all of us in the way that we're wired and the way that we're gifted in this season in our lives to accomplish his will. I don't want anybody leaving here this morning saying, God can't use me. That's, that's a lie. God wants to use you. God wants to use you to be productive in his kingdom. And Joseph was uh, investing in other people and honing his gifts or the use of his gifts in this, in this story. Even in prison, he's building relationships. He's building his network. Even while he's incarcerated by serving others. I think also we see here he was, he was somewhat compassionate. You know, he gets up in the morning and these guys are pretty down and he sees it in their face. He's a good read of people and he's like, why are your faces so sad? And, and they, tell him their, their, they tell him their problems and he interprets their dreams. I think we also see that Joseph in the midst of building these relationships, Pastor Paul talked the last week about making, making sure we're people of integrity in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the unexpected situation. Joseph in this story again, demonstrates that he is not going to shy away from telling the truth. He's not going to shy away from telling it like he sees it. He tells the cupbearer, you'll be restored. But then he also realizes that when the baker is there and he has to tell him his dream, he doesn't tell him a lie. He doesn't tell him what he wants to hear to gain favor. Because think about that path Joseph could have taken. He's going to say, I'm going to tell both of these guys what they want to hear so that when they get out of here, they can help me. But he doesn't do that. He sees in the baker the truth that God reveals to him. And instead of telling him what the baker wanted to hear, 
he tells the baker, you're toast. Even though the baker doesn't necessarily want to hear that. So he's a, he's a good judge of character. He's compassionate and he's exercising his skills to invest in the lives of others by using his gifts. When we look at life and things look dark, I think it's really important for us to have to intentionally invest in the lives of other people. It is the last thing you want to do is invest in somebody else's life when you're in your own crisis. It's the exact last thing on your list uh, is to invest in somebody else. We have to intentionally choose to be productive. We have to intentionally choose to use our gifts. We have to intentionally choose to make a difference by investing in other people. George Miriam was a publisher in the 1800s. And uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, we all know that. This quote that's up on the screen, I love this. It speaks to the heart of this truth that when the chips are down, building relationships matters. This is part of how we are productive. However perplexed you may at any hour become about some question of truth, one refuge and resource is always at hand. You can do something for someone beside yourself. At the time when you cannot see God, there is still open to you this sacred possibility to show God. For it is the love and kindness of human hearts through which the divine reality comes home to men, whether they name it or not. Let this thought then stay with you. There may be times when you cannot find help, but there is no time when you cannot give help. Isn't that brilliant? Think of that as deep stuff. There may be times when you cannot find help, but there is no time when you cannot give help. When the circumstances seem helpless and hopeless and we need help, that's the time when we as Christ followers are called to be help to someone else. Some pretty powerful stuff. When the chips are down, being productive matters. Building relationship matters. Being optimistic when the chips are down is really important and helps us be productive. Even in the midst of bad situations, it is really important to have hope. It is really important to have hope. Joseph had a goal. His goal was to get out of jail. He was in jail. He was wrongfully imprisoned. His goal was to get out. And in Genesis 40, 14, we read him talking to the cupbearer after he interpreted his dream. And he knows by faith that the guy's going to get out. He says, when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Joseph had a goal. He had hope in this goal that he was going to get Uh, out of prison and that he was going to be free. It's vital for us to maintain goals in our lives. And as a Christian, I'd ask you this morning, what are your goals? Well, Joe, my goal is to get to heaven, you know, and that's an awesome goal. That's an awesome goal to get to heaven. It's probably the most important goal any of us will have in our lives. And I hope to see you there. But that's not the only goal. There are big goals and then there are intermediate goals in terms of how we live our lives. Um, 
As a student, maybe your goal is, I want to go to college. It's a smaller goal. It's more intermediary. I want to go to college. As a parent, your goal may be, i got to figure out how to pay for college. That's a good goal. It's one I'm living right now. I know some of you are also. Maybe as a person who's out of school and in life, maybe your goal is I'm going to pay down my debt. Goals are good. They motivate us to act. We have to have goals, and we all have goals in our lives. But my question for you this morning is what are your, what are your spiritual goals? What are your faith goals? You know, Joseph wanted to get out of prison. Um, he wanted to be faithful to God. What are our goals? It's important to have goals. Joseph's willingness to serve others with his gift was an investment that he hoped would pay off in his freedom. We find here that Joseph's a pretty practical guy, too. In his being obedient to God and investing in others, he hoped it would pay off in the goal of getting out of jail. But when we read this story, eh, we see his hopes are pretty much dashed in this chapter. Because in verse 23, we read, the cupbearer is freed, he's restored to his position. And the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. It's not, not kind of the story, the way we want the story to end today, right? We want the cupbearer to remember Joseph and to free him, but that just was not in the cards. Uh, so God had something else in mind. And I think that it leads us to probably the important point of the day today, and that is being productive isn't just about doing stuff. Being productive isn't just about bearing fruit. I don't want you to miss this this morning because this is probably the most important part of what I have on my heart this morning. Being productive isn't just about making fruit. It's about being made into something more fruitful in the midst of the circumstances that you find yourself in. When we say we're supposed to be productive, it's not just about making stuff. It's about being made. It's about being shaped and formed into what God intends us to be as his children. In the midst of his captivity, Joseph was being shaped and formed into the man that God needed him to be. He was being shaped and formed. And we read in the first verse of chapter 41 that not only did the cupbearer forget him, but he was in prison for two more years. Not the way he had expected this story to end. And we get in these situations and, you know, we're wondering, God, what in the world is going on? Maybe the question we should be asking instead of why is this happening to me? Maybe the question we should be asking instead of where's the exit? I'd like to get off the ride, please. Uh, Maybe the question we should be asking is, God, what are you trying to teach me? So often we find our energy and our passion in the why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? This does not seem fair. Get me out of here. Where's the exit? As Christ followers, maybe the question we should be asking is, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? Stop looking for the exit. Stop looking for the escape route. Start looking for the lesson that God is trying to teach us. Joseph was in prison for two years, and I can't imagine that over two years he didn't change. Uh, We sent uh, our oldest son off to college. It's going to be hard to believe that Curtis is going to be a senior next fall at Olivet. 
And uh, when he first went off to school, uh, he was a young man, impetuous, uh, not a lot of wisdom. And now he's a young man, impetuous, and not a lot of wisdom. <laughs> but he's growing up. He's changed. Every time he comes home, you can see over time, he thinks he's at school, going to class, involved in activities, meeting new people, doing new things, going through new experiences, going to new places. But in the midst of all that stuff that he's doing in the moment, he's growing up. He's growing into a man. God works in our lives the same way. We're going through these experiences and these crisis moments and these situations, and we're just living life day by day, and we don't realize that over time, God is shaping us and forming us into the people that God wants us to be. It's important to ask in the middle of our circumstances, God, what are you trying to teach me? I think that God was trying to teach Joseph maybe a little bit of humility. Because remember, when Joseph's story starts, he's 17 years old. He does not have a filter, you know? I mean, he's 17, year old. he's 17 years old. He knows he's daddy's favorite. Daddy gives him the coat of many colors. And so he's strutting around, you know, with the coat, being Mr. Big Time. He doesn't have to work. You notice that about Joseph? He doesn't have to work. He's just always following his brothers around, seeing what they're doing. Um, And not only that, he has no filter. He's like having dreams about how his brothers are going to worship him. And he tells them. I mean, he needs to learn a little bit of humility. Maybe that's why God enslaved him. Had him, allowed him to be enslaved. Maybe that's, that's why God allowed him to be imprisoned and put in these circumstances because Joseph needed to learn a little dose of humility. Maybe Joseph needed to learn patience. Two years in prison. Two years, that's a long time. Maybe he just had to learn patience and have trust in God. Maybe, think about this, maybe Joseph needed to gain some confidence in his gift as an interpreter of dreams. Joseph did not know what was coming. But I can imagine that he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer and of the baker. And I bet you those weren't the only dreams he interpreted while he was there in prison. That was his gift. God gave him time to practice his gift and to build confidence. Because you know what? There was a time, a pivotal moment coming in the future that Joseph did not know about. There was a pivotal moment coming when he had to interpret the dream of the Pharaoh and it would determine the direction of his life one way or the other. You don't want to walk into those big life-changing moments for the first time doing it. God knows we need practice. God knows we need to hone our skills of practicing our gifts and he puts us in situations so we can get better, learn these skills, do these things because God's going to take all your experiences and he's going to use them to accomplish his will in some way, shape, or form down the line. Romans 8, 28, God, he uses all things. He works for good, all things for those who believe in him. This chapter ends with Joseph still in prison, maybe because Joseph wasn't ready for the next chapter in his life. Think about that. Maybe Joseph wasn't ready for the next chapter. He had not developed what he needed in terms of his skills and his faith to be able to move to the next step. He was learning. God was teaching him. God was shaping him. God is working on us because he has to work. God's God's working in us and on us because he's got work for us to do. He's working on us and in us because he's got work to do. 
We are not made to be on the defense. You know, sometimes I think we just act like we're always on our heels. You know, I was talking to Jim Mariner earlier this morning, and, you know, it's really easy to come to church and get overwhelmed by all the requests and things like that, and you would think that we were under siege. You know, you would think that we are here and walls are up, shields up. You know, we got we to gotta hide. God did not make us to be on the defensive. He did not make us to be on our heels. God created his children to, to thrive, to be productive, you know, to, to, he created us to be on the offensive in love, to be using our gifts and honing our skills so that we can help build his kingdom. God, he's made us to learn to love each other and he's made us to be proactive in investing in other people and learning how to trust him more in our lives so that we gain confidence and grow more stronger in our faith so that we can accomplish his will in a new and a powerful way. We are victors in Christ. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think that's news, but the reality of the situation is we're not supposed to be on our heels. We are supposed to be on the offensive, even in situations where we're in adverse circumstances. But that can all get short-circuited if we allow our trust to wane, that God's in control. That confidence dissipates when we wane in our trust, maybe when we allow sin to creep in. I got a ton of flower gardens in my new yard. I got a lot of weeds. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> you know, these weeds are just creeping in everywhere. And I was doing some lawn work uh, Friday night, and I'm like, oh, you're my enemy, weeds. But we sometimes allow sin to creep in our lives like weeds in a flower bed. And it short circuits what God wants to do in our lives. Sometimes it gets to the point where we turn our face from God in the midst of these circumstances and we're not able to be productive because we've just given up. We've given up, we've given up hope. I think the question for us today is do we trust God to redeem our circumstances? Do we trust God to redeem our circumstances? He can do it. But that redemption, folks, it has to start in here and it has to continue in here for God to be able to redeem our circumstances. If we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis and we're crying out to help for God and we don't have it right in here first, don't expect to get it right out there. And I'm not saying that, you know, that our salvation correlates with our circumstances, but I do know that Romans 8.28 says that God works for the good of those who believe in him. For those who believe in him. And when we allow stuff to come into our lives, sin or whatnot, to short circuit what God wants to do, he can't redeem our circumstances if he's not able to redeem us. We've got to allow him to do that. We have to fix our eyes on Christ. See these? Little scissors. When I was a little boy, I would be, you know, like three years old. I remember this as a child. The memories formed in my head. My mom would give me a haircut. And boy, when I was in the chair, I squirmed. <laughs> you know, I squirmed because in my little boy mind, 
she had pulled these out. She had pulled these little scissors out. But in my mind, I thought she pulled these out. I was scared. I was overwhelmed. I thought she was, you're like, he's got vertigo and he's doing this. What? <laughs> I was, I, my perception was skewed by my lack of trust in my mom at that moment. And while she was just wanting to trim my cute little toe-headed head with these, I thought she was coming at me with these. And it caused fear and paralysis, and I squirmed because my perception was skewed by my circumstances. You know, and I think sometimes in our lives, we think God wants to do this to us, when in reality, God wants to trim us up. He wants to prune us. He wants to help us. And we allow our fears, our outsized fears, to get in the way of coming down here and maybe rebooting, restarting, refreshing that relationship with him. Because we're afraid he's going to come out and... God's not a God who goes, unless we reject him. You know, but if we're seeking him... We're seeking his will for our lives regardless of our circumstances. He can redeem our circumstances. And sometimes I just think that we get into these situations and we know there's something we've got to surrender to him and we're squirming in the chair. And then that compounds into thinking that God's going to do this to us. When in reality, we need to do business with him and know that he's a loving, gracious God. That he wants the very best for his children, that he wants to partner with us and accomplish his will in our lives. We can't do that if there's anything between us and him that's short-circuiting that relationship that's keeping us from being productive in the way that God wants us to be in our lives. That's keeping us from truly investing in somebody else. And so this morning, I'm going to ask Victoria to come up as we're going to close this morning. I just want to ask you the question. I think we all need to kind of face this question. We might find ourselves in adverse circumstances and we may be seeking help. Is there anything in our lives that's distracting us from being able to trust fully in Jesus? Hebrews 12, chapter 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your your faith, your salvation. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We need to regulate that word fix is... As, a, as an ongoing command. It doesn't say fix your eyes back there and then move on. Get saved back there one time and then move on. That is an ongoing command. We need to recalibrate every day. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Not get distracted by the circumstances. Because when we don't fix our eyes on the cross, we're bound to take a wrong turn. The cross is our true north in our lives. And if we're not constantly fixing our eyes on the cross and surrendering to him on a regular basis, we're going to struggle. And the fear is going to grow. And we're going to see this out there. God wants to work in your life. And this morning, as we close, I just want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to ask you to stand. These altars are a great place to be able to reboot and refresh. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 60 years or if you've just been here for 60 minutes this morning. It's a great opportunity 
to come and just reboot, refresh, restore, and refix our eyes on the cross so that we can be productive in the midst of our circumstances. I'm going to let Vicki sing this chorus. The altar's open. You can move as God leads you. We're just going to prayerfully wait as she sings this very familiar chorus today. Heavenly Father, as we come to you at the close of this service this morning, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be honest with you. Lord, if there is anything that has short-circuited our ability to be productive, godly servants, now is the time that you've offered to us to get that straightened out, to get that account settled. Lord, if there's anything that's short-circuiting our ability to trust in you, or if there's a relationship dynamic that is getting in the way of us being fully obedient and productive in your eyes, Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to find a place of prayer, whether it's at this altar or right where we stand, to turn our eyes on you, to allow your glory and grace to shine in our hearts and to teach us what we need to learn right here and right now in this moment. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that maybe the reason we're not able to move into the next chapter is because we've been asking why and where's the exit. Lord, this morning I pray that you'd help us to just honestly ask the question, Father, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? Lord, sometimes that's not comfortable because we need to learn hard lessons. But I pray that you'd have a, give us the courage to just be transparent with you today. To allow your Holy Spirit to move in. To give us perspective. To give us strength and power to overcome our circumstances. So that we can be who you intended for us to be regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Father, I pray that you would go with us this week out of our, into our daily lives. And I pray that each and every day, Lord, that you would help us to be mindful of your presence and that in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, that you're using that to shape us and form us into the people that you always intended us to be. Pray that your blessing would go with us this week, Lord. That you'd help us to grow as we journey with you. That you'd give us a hope. That you'd help us to be productive right where we're at. And that you'd help us to gain confidence not only in our ability to serve you, but in you as our Heavenly Father and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go. Thank you for coming this morning. God